Today's programme ought to give you a good idea about the kind of research happening in Cambridge at the Medical Research Council. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Let's get a really good overview of what goes on at the MRC Lab of Molecular Biology. It was back in May when the Queen visited to open the new building near the hospital. So we took that opportunity to speak with the lab's director, Sir Hugh Pelham, about what they do. I started by asking why the Queen was coming to them. Well, we're delighted to welcome the Queen back. She came 51 years ago to open our previous laboratory building, and so it's very fitting that she should come back today. We're going to show her how much things have improved since, and show her a little bit of the science we do here to try and uh, explain how what we do helps drug design, helps treat asthma, helps treat Alzheimer's disease, helps mainly to understand these problems so that one can um, work out ways to treat them. Because until you understand a problem, you can't fix it. It's a bit like a surgeon has to do a lot of anatomy to work out how they can do useful surgery. Mm-hmm. We try to do the same kind of thing, but at the molecular level. We try to understand the molecules that life uses and how it uses them so that you can work out where to intervene with a drug to cure a, a medical problem. Okay, so biology is that living thing that walks around. Molecular biology is... It's the same thing, but at the level of individual molecules, which are collections of atoms, it's a very, very small scale. So you're into understanding the mechanics? Yes. Many processes in the living cell actually involve little mechanical machines built of protein molecules, motors that move things around, things that generate energy... These fundamental processes we would like to understand in detail, the machines that make other proteins, for example, the machines that duplicate your DNA so that each cell can inherit it, and in due course your children can inherit it. And this research is blue sky research? Our research is mostly driven by people's curiosity, but we have a fine tradition of keeping one eye on what could be useful about it. And so in the past, perhaps the thing that we're most famous for here is the development of antibody therapy. The big blockbuster drugs currently are antibodies, not small molecules. Antibodies are, of course, things that we all make in our bloodstream. But Cesar Milstein here worked out how to produce single antibodies with a defined specificity that would attack a particular thing. And later, Greg Winter brought this principle into actually making therapeutically useful antibodies that could be put into people. And now drugs such as uh, Herceptin, Humira, these are very big selling drugs. And Humira, for example, is used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. And hundreds of thousands of patients have been treated with this drug, and it really works. That's fabulous. Now, before you move to this lovely new building on the edge of the Addenbrooke site... What other discoveries? The place has incredible history. Yes, the origins of the laboratory of molecular biology go back to the Cavendish Laboratory in uh, 1947. And some of the early successes were indeed Watson and Crick discovering the structure of DNA and Max Prutz and John Kendrew working out how to determine the structures of proteins by X-ray crystallography. 
Subsequently to that, when the lab started in 1962, Fred Sanger joined, who had previously worked out how to determine the chemical structure of proteins. He went on to work out how to determine the structure of the, of the DNA molecules in our genomes, the order of the bases, which, which basically define our genes. Later on, John Silston, who was here, was the founding director of the Sanger Institute, where one-third of the human genome was deciphered in this way. Wow. So the impact of the work over many years has been phenomenal. As I walked up to this office, lots of labs, lots of... What, give me an idea of the sorts of projects that might be demised. We have everything from trying to understand the chemical origins of life to trying to understand how viruses invade cells and how the cell tries to defend itself against those viruses to trying to understand the structures of very large, complicated molecular machines in our bodies. And this is quite a challenge by looking at them, electron microscopy. And there are people who are trying to understand how eggs are produced in such a way that they have the right number of chromosomes, because if they have the wrong number of chromosomes, then you have difficulty conceiving, because you will end up with an abnormal fetus that, that, that won't, won't go to term. Basically, we have about 50, 55 groups here, all of whom are doing slightly different things, but they're related, generally speaking, by a common molecular interest in how things work at that level. When I see a piece of research, I often wonder what on earth this is leading to. So give us some example of how something that seems so esoteric could turn into something useful. The discoveries that are made often take many, many years to make, and they're often unexpected. So, for example, in 1975, people here were interested in determining the structure of proteins that are embedded in the membranes of cells. That's a particularly technically challenging problem. So they studied the only protein that was abundant enough and easy enough to study. It's in a bacterium, an obscure bacterium. It's called bacteria rhodopsin. Several years later they discovered that that was actually in structure, related to the rhodopsin that is in the retina of our eyes and helps us to see light. So that was encouraging. They were doing something that was actually possibly relevant to humans. A few years after that, it was discovered that the proteins that many drugs, about a third of all the drugs we take, such as beta blockers, bind to proteins that are called receptors, which control such things as our heart rate, and they are themselves closely related. So that same group that had been working on this for years immediately started working on those, realizing that one day that would be very useful for drug design. So that happened after about 30 years of work. It takes a very long time. It takes several people a lot of persistence. But because they could see, not from the beginning, but halfway through, that they were onto something that was going to be useful, they pursued that. And in the end... Uh, it resulted in the founding of a company that helps in designing improved and new novel drugs. So who has the big picture, decides what needs to be done? I'm often asked that question. The answer is we let people decide it for themselves. In a, in a way, the scientists who are at the cutting edge have the best understanding of what is likely to be achievable and what is likely to be interesting. So we apply criteria such as it would be nice if you cured a human disease. There are certain things that we think it's now time to push. But within that broad envelope, it is up to the scientist to work out what the correct next route is. If you're trying to get up a mountain, you don't stand at the bottom and tell people go to the left 
the person climbing it sees a groove and takes that route because they know it, it's the right way forward. And it's very much like that. So we oversee what's going on, but the actual energy, the direction comes from the scientists themselves. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Kreese. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.